Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios, it's time for Workplace MVP. Workplace MVP is brought to you by R3 Continuum, a global leader in workplace behavioral health and security solutions. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gassman. Hi, everyone. Your host, Jamie Gassman here, and welcome to this episode of Workplace MVP. So I just saw a statistic the other day that indicated that $23 billion is spent annually in the United States from the loss of work productivity as a result of depression alone. Depression also contributes to 200 million lost workdays annually around the world. Now imagine the other common mental health diagnoses that employees may be dealing with, like anxiety or bipolar disorder, and what the loss of productivity and work days might look like with all of them combined. A focus on mental health in the workplace has become more of a priority to, to employers and employees over the last year, but there's still a stigma that workplaces are facing when it comes to talking about or offering mental health support in the workplace. How can employers ensure they're offering the right level of mental health and wellness support? And how can they ensure they are reducing, if not eliminating, the lingering presence of stigma? The Society of Human Resource Professionals, also known as SHRM, is on a mission to help employers create better workplace wellness through their SHRM Foundation. And with us today to share the great work SHRM Foundation is doing to better workplace mental health and to offer best practice advice for our employers and listeners of Workplace MVP is SHRM Foundation President Wendy Safstrom. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us today. So let's start off. Can you walk us through your career journey and how you can kind of the, the path you took to getting to the position you're in today? Sure, absolutely. Um, and thanks for asking. So I have been with Sturm Foundation for just over four and a half years, and I have the great pleasure of working with our CEO and president of the CEO and president of Sturm, uh, Johnny C. Taylor Jr. And over the last couple of years, we've really morphed uh, the work we do, our purpose, vision, and mission. And again, I'm just really um, uh, honored and proud to be representing the foundation today. Um, and I'm really excited to be in this particular role when you talk about my professional journey, because I was an HR professional way back, uh, back in the day, right after I graduated from school, from college, I had different uh, recruiting and HR roles with the Leo Burnett Company, a large advertising agency in Chicago, and with Hyatt Hotels, their corporate offices in Chicago as well. Uh, fast forward uh, about 20 years later, I now am really what I would consider an association and nonprofit um, lead, right? So I've got experience in national program development administration, uh, membership strategy, marketing and product development, grant management, all the kinds of things you have to do to fundraise to actually feel your work and really leading, focusing on leading cross-functional teams. And uh, this position is really the perfect blend of supporting an industry for which I have or profession, I should say, a, a deep respect and affinity for in a nonprofit role so we can really help um, HR professionals lead positive social change in the workplace. And um, uh, really excited to be talking with you about workplace mental health and wellness today. Yeah, absolutely. It's such an important topic right now, especially after the last year and a half that we've been navigating, um, especially for workplaces and, and leaders themselves trying to figure out how to help support those employees. Definitely. So with that in mind, you know, talk me, tell me a little bit about the SHRM Foundation, you know, some of the, the different types of work that you do, and then particularly some of the work that you're focused around uh, with mental health and well-being. 
Sure. Just really quickly, um, sure, we're the SHRM Foundation. We're the 501c3 philanthropic affiliate of the Society for Human Resource Management, SHRM. And SHRM is the world's largest professional society for HR. Uh, we engage about 300,000 members and by extension, over 115 million employees in countries around the world every single day. So our platform to affect change is tremendous. And we're here to leverage that, that opportunity. Our mission at the foundation is, as I mentioned, to mobilize the power that HR professionals have and really help them activate um, positive social change and help them lead positive social change impacting all things work. And we think that perhaps more so now than ever before, it's so important to realize or help realize our shared vision, which we share with CIRM, of uh, that being a world of work that works for all. And when we talk about the foundation at a very high level, we often refer to our work in kind of four pillars of work, and we have programming tools and resources to support each of those pillars of work, and all of this information is available on our SHRM Foundation website, which I'm sure will show some of the resources at the end of the podcast. So I think one of the most effective but least utilized solutions to addressing gaps in diversity, equity, and, ed- and um, inclusion strategies is hiring and retaining workers who may not be the standard that businesses consider when they're seeking talent due to biases or uh, uninformed misconceptions or perceptions. So through our Building Inclusive Workplace Initiative or untapped pools of talent programming, we help HR professionals uh, develop and provide equitable opportunities for employment and provide them a pathway by which they can create inclusive cultures and workplaces for those valuable members of untapped pools of talent, veterans, individuals with criminal records, individuals with disabilities, older workers, opportunity youth who bring a tremendous potential to workplaces but are often overlooked. And a newer initiative uh, for the foundation in partnership with our SHRM membership team is a targeted focus on supporting emerging professionals. So the HR professionals uh, of the future and um, in our role as a professional society, we should and care, uh, we care and should care about the development of that next gen of HR professionals. So we help activate student professional networks. We provide scholarships and opportunities for students who are considering and are pursuing HR to connect with working HR professionals in the event or the hope that they uh, continue their journey, their professional journey with SHRM. And then really um, the two areas of focus that have emerged over the last year are linked to upskilling and reskilling that helps prepare people not only for the future of work, but helps prepare people who've been displaced, get them back into the workforce. And that all lends itself truly uh, the pri- to the primary focus is why and why we're here today, which is workplace mental health and wellness. And the statistics, statistics that you mentioned are staggering in terms of um, the impact that uh, workplace mental health and or lack of support and uh, the stigma with stigma comes silence, um, the impact that it has on businesses and their bottom lines. Uh, there is a tremendous need, if now so, not if not now, probably more so ever than before, uh, for these strategies, evidence-based tools, resources, uh, especially in the wake of the pandemic, um, times of social unrest and really economic instability. So in a nutshell, that's what the foundation does. And Workplace health and uh, workplace uh, mental health and wellness is at the top of our priority list. Yeah, a lot of amazing work. Some areas, obviously, that are you kind of drawing out um, concepts and and thinking that maybe you know HR leaders or business leaders haven't thought of before, or maybe haven't 
you know, been maybe bold enough or brave enough or, or even considered going into, um, looking into those areas for, for workers and helping workers. So that's great. So with, you know, with talking about this, this mental health, I mean, there's a core focus and a purpose for the foundation around that. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like and what you're working towards with that that enhanced focus? Sure. Our shared purpose, again, in alignment with SHRM is really to elevate HR. And when we talk about elevating HR, we're talking about elevating um, the, pro- the professional knowledge and skills um, that HR professionals have and practice every single day. Um, we're talking about elevating the profession of HR and uh, the, uh, the thoughts and attitudes per- and stereotypes people may have of what it means to work in HR, what it means to have HR serve as a business leader in which they are. They're in, pol- they're in positions to really affect change in, in, in the workplace. And, you know, we're long past the day where HR was thought of as the payroll and paper processing, you know, we we're going to hire and fire people. Those are, those are long gone. And if there were ever a time for excellence uh, when it comes to HR, it's now. Um, and in fact, the need for HR professionals has continued to grow nearly twice the average growth rate for all other occupations. So there's a need And this workplace mental health and wellness, um, this was an issue even prior to COVID and everything that's happened over the last year, year and a half. Um, Mental illness and mental wellness uh, continue to be an issue that HR professionals, together with other members of the C-suite or their CEO and leadership, um, need to come together and make a commitment to affect cultural change within their organization. So really, we're elevating HR and their knowledge, skills, competencies related to workplace mental health and wellness, and we're elevating those kinds of positions so that they are viewed in the same lens that other members of the C-suite are if they're not there already. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Because they really are, you know, kind of the eyes and ears to culturally how people are feeling. I mean, sometimes I, I, you know, as a leader myself, find that my employees might be and not at a fault of my own or at a fault of another leader is just HR is kind of like that person they can go to for that, that, you know, different level of support than what they might be able to obtain from their actual leader. So exactly. uh, they really do have eyes and ears into people's well-being at a different level than than other organizational leaders might. Yes. And so to help kind of further expand your foundation's focus on on workplace mental health, you recently held a workplace mental health summit in New York. And I believe if I've got my information correct, it was like the first of its kind that you had created just specifically this year. Can you share with us what were some of the main topics that you covered, um, you know, based on what you were seeing within the workplace that's become more common? Yeah, actually, uh, it was the first, um, not only the first summit of this kind for our organization addressing workplace mental health and wellness, but it was in person. And we had every COVID protocol you can imagine in place. I think it was a tremendous opportunity for subject matter experts, scientists, psychologists, CEOs, CHROs, philanthropists, uh, policymakers, other business leaders, because it's going to take all of us truly to affect change in workplace as it relates to workplace mental health and wellness. It can be implemented and, and, and impacted by HR professionals, but it's going to take uh, a village, so to speak, um, and all those kinds of people working together to, to make things happen. Um, and we held, you know, we held this meeting despite the odds. Um, 
because we recognized the status quo would not do. We had speakers. We had, I think, 33 panel uh, panelists in different um, speaking roles and covering different topics that were very passionate and knowledge about the topics um, that they brought to the table as it relates to workplace mental health and wellness. There's a phrase that I've, I've picked up somewhere, so now I, I've, I've uh, continued to use it, which is... Um, We've admired the problem, right? We, we, we understand that there is an issue. The statistics are staggering in terms of impact on people and business and communities. Um, and so rather than focus on talking to one another and telling one another what an issue and a challenge we have, we framed the topic of workplace mental health and wellness. And then we started to move into that deep and what can be often crowded or complicated space of mental health and mental illness right out of the gate, right? So we were really focused on discussions around um, what's working ideas in terms of strategies and tactics in terms of attitudes, thoughts, perceptions, and tools that HR professionals could be using or should be using to affect change within their organizations. Um, some of the speakers we had uh, Dr. Arthur Evans was the CEO of the American Psychological Association. His topic was really focusing on that um, one of a, a psychologically healthy workplace. Amazing, amazing dialogue with other IO psychologists who brought that kind of scientific and clinical perspective to the table, but made it real and re relevant to the working professionals who were in the audience. Um, we had uh, the Honorable Patrick J. Kennedy. He's a former congressman um, from Rhode Island, and his whole focus was talking about there's no health without mental health and different kinds of strategies that we can, as that village, really help advance this national priority of mental health. And uh, we had an amazing speaker, uh, Dr. Nadine Burkaris, and she's the California Surgeon General. She brought some insights to the table with regard to adverse childhood experiences and its impact on the workplace, not only today, but in the future and the impact of trauma um, that can is compounded certainly by what's been going on over the last year and a half. So lots of different perspectives, lots of topics. We landed on kind of a six point plan or outcomes that we're going to be activating and putting into motion here in the next couple of weeks. Wow. Sounds like a great yeah. event. Lots of great information great. and takeaways. Lots of good energy. And I've, you know, rarely have I been to a summit where people stay the whole time and they're taking notes the whole time. Um, and that was really neat to see uh, people at all levels and all different kinds of representing different kinds of organizations. Oh, fantastic. So, you know, you kind of mentioned status quo. So, you know, some experts also say that you know, employers can no longer afford the status quo of mental health support. So share with me a little bit about your thoughts on this. Sure. Um, so we often say that the cost of doing nothing about or continuing to do what we're doing, which is likely most often nothing, right, about workplace mental health and wellness is significantly higher than investing in evidence-based prevention and treatment. And we know that failure to support employees' mental health not only weighs on the employees themselves, but it also weighs heavily on an organization's bottom line. And some of the statistics that you mentioned are truly staggering. The loss of productivity, um, the, uh, the fact that depression alone costs people uh, work days. So not only are the individual workers at risk, you're putting the business at risk. If the businesses go out of business, that impacts the individual workers themselves and their communities. 
we do know um, in terms of uh, why you can't afford to do this by investing in workplace mental health and wellness, you're increasing retention and recruitment, you're, you're adding to your recruitment strategies or your talent management strategies, you're increasing productivity, you're helping lower absenteeism, you're lowering um, the costs related to disability and medical related costs for your medical plans, and you're also reducing employee related risks and other types of liabilities. And so for every dollar invested in good mental health, promoting good mental health, providing the tools and resources, every dollar invested has a three to $5 return. So in terms of no longer afford, I think we can help businesses become um, not only more successful perhaps by really making investments in these critical solutions, as opposed to continuing with that status quo and continuing to uh, pretend that it's not an issue or a problem. Yeah, they, they need to look at it as more of a an investment into their organization as opposed to a cost, Exactly, which is probably what they, they may be still kind of so changing that thinking around that might help them. So if an HR leader was going to put that into context from, do you have recommendations for how they might, um, you know, proactively go to leadership and change some of that thinking from, you know, it as an, as a cost to an, it's an investment into the organization. Yeah. I think that there are, we were just on another call with um, folks talking about more tactical solutions for like EAPs and having addressing stigma and having a communication, making it okay to talk about workplace mental health and wellness in organizations. If employees are struggling, we talked about the importance of investing in training managers. So managers, I think more so than HR professionals are the folks that see folks every day. And so training managers, not to be psychologists or psychologists, psychiatrists or social workers, but to train uh, managers to understand the signs when employees are struggling so that they can head off issues at the earliest stage possible. But I think that um, leaders and managers should uh, embrace really four qualities. I think um, they include awareness. We talked a little bit about this at the summit. They include awareness, um, vulnerability, Empathy, we talk a lot about empathy and humility here at SHRM and compassion. I think that those are really critical qualities for business leaders um, in order to care for people who are in crisis and to really set the stage for business recovery as we're headed in that direction. And I think managers can start that by creating um, a space to to get a, a better awareness of what's going on in and around them. Um, I think managers can uh, be should be bold in exhibiting vulnerability and lowering their own guard and confront what's unfolding um, and understanding and acknowledging that employees are indeed struggling. And uh, they should be demonstrating empathy to really better tap into the emotions that others are feeling. So it's it's tools and resources and training, but it's also um, affecting change within your culture, making it okay, and having uh, leaders and managers really practice what they've been preaching, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And and looking at employees, and you know, you know, this kind of thinking around the next generation of employees and their expectations of employers. You know, we see a lot. You know, in you know, just different areas that em- that employees are expecting more from their employer in yeah. the types of support and mental health. Um, you know, options that they have and, and kind of having that mixture of like multi-channel approaches. What are some of your thoughts around 
the changes that you're seeing with generations coming into the workforce versus previous year, uh, previous generations? One of the advantages that we have at the foundation in working with SHRM as the broader enterprise is tapping into this tremendous expertise we have in our own very own research uh, division within SHRM. And they have uncovered some really interesting data that kind of goes along the lines that you would anticipate, but it really does provide that qualitative, excuse me, quantitative evidence um, so that we can plan more effectively so that research does find, right, that younger generations or younger workers, I should say, do expect more out of their employers. And that includes um, that in the area of workplace mental health and wellness. It's one thing to have health benefits that relate to physical health, but mental health are incredibly important as well. And um, the research that we've gotten from SHRM shows that Americans who are older, millennials perhaps, um, 35% of them are more, more likely to indicate that they feel comfortable discussing their mental health at work as compared to baby boomers or traditionalists at 21%. Um, working Americans who are Gen Z or younger millennials um, uh, or 30% are more likely to indicate that since the start of COVID, they feel more comfortable talking about their mental health at work um, than before the pandemic. But you compare that to Gen X, myself, or even baby boomers and traditionalists, that hovers around 15 to 8%. So that's a big gap in terms of um, wanting to access, expecting benefits when it comes to choosing an employer, because employers are in a position now to choose their employer as much as employers are in a position to opt to hire employees. And that is just another layer of why it's so important um, that you can manage a multi-generational workforce because of the attitudes and the perceptions and their approaches, uh, even amongst the different generations that exist in the workforce. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah. And, you know, and speaking of research, so, you know, also from your research, you know, the work the foundation has done, you've identified benefits to employers when they're, you know, investing in workplace mental health and wellness. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to some of those benefits that, you know, trickle down from, from putting focus on this? Yep. And I, I touched on some of that, but it's kind of lends itself to that business case again, right? What the the cost of doing nothing as opposed to making the investments in mental health um, strategies and in affecting and changing our culture are much higher if you're doing nothing. So some of the benefits employers can expect um, by investing in those strategies are really, like I said, lockstep with the business case and it, recruits, it uh, uh, helps increase retention, helps improve recruitment, which all comes at a cost to the organization. And as I mentioned, it lowers absenteeism and medical costs um, and reduces employee-related risks and other potential liabilities. Those all factor into the cost of doing business when it comes to employees or labor. Um, uh, It's it's great news for businesses, um, but I think that focusing on the business benefits. Yes, there is a business case for investments in these strategies and paying attention to the issues at hand. But the point is um, that it's also the right thing to do. Um, Your employees, they're struggling. They've said that they're struggling. They're suffering. And the events of the past two years have left a lot of people traumatized, uh, fearful, 
angry. Some of them are grieving. And um, Sherm's research says that a recent uh, study of American workers shows 76% of those people think companies should do more to support the mental health of their workforce. So um, all of those point to cost savings, yes, from a business case perspective, but also lend themselves to taking good care of an organization's most valuable resource, which are its employees. Oh, absolutely. Wow. It's staggering. The 76% are looking for them to do more. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, you know, and obviously like on the flip side of that, in terms of like the impact the organization, um, when they aren't doing more, um, you know, we can say, you know, you know, there's more turnover, but there's other impact, um, and factors that come into play, um, you know, when they're not doing more, can you speak a little bit to that in terms of the impact of the organization when they are like status quo, everything's fine here. Um, yep. <laughs> what, what, nothing what, to, what, see. Nothing to see, let's just keep going. Um, right, right. what are some of the impacts from a negative perspective that they could be experiencing? It's, it's, and it's, it, as you say, it's the exact opposite uh, increased productivity versus the loss in productivity, an increase in medical costs, an increase in retention, um, in retention rates. If they're not investing, those are the things that they will see. And I do think because of the shift in mindset on the next generation of folks who are entering the workforce as baby boomers begin to retire and Gen X and millennials kind of move along um, their professional careers, people are expecting and anticipating. Um, to receive that kind of support. They're wanting to work in cultures that prioritize workplace mental health and wellness. And I think employers will have an increasingly difficult time, um, not only retaining employees, but recruiting them because employees are considering not only their, their, their salary, right? But it's a total comp package. And that includes uh, benefits. And they're looking for benefits linked to good physical health um, and increasingly important, as all the data shows, benefits linked to supporting um, good mental health. So if we don't do anything, I think it's going to be more difficult to both hire and retain top talent. Yeah. And I think too, that trickles down to hiring and or not hiring, but like obtaining you know, Im- implementing new clients and retaining clients because that exactly. customer experience starts to be degraded when you've got mm-hmm. employees who are not happy and satisfied as or well. Or leaving or leaving yeah. or yes. getting sick. It gets to the point where they can't cope. And they that's when the lost productivity to your point comes into play. That's when lost days in terms of work comes into play. So absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. So, and obviously looking at turnover, you know, this last year, you know, we've been experiencing the, what they're calling the great resignation, you know, where Mm -hmm. employees are voluntarily leaving jobs. And I've even seen in some stats where they're leaving when, and not having another job lined up, they're just deciding I'm done. You think there's a correlation between the great resignation and mental health within employees? Yep. And I think um, um, a lot of factors are contributing to that great resignation. I think to your point, people are leaving jobs without plans for another because they are feel that this is a moment for them to make a personal professional change. Right. And there's not necessarily anything we can do directly about that. um, But that is just a factor, including, um, as you mentioned, better compensation. We're seeing astronomical salaries in some instances for people to leave an organization and go work for another organization. Organization um, doing similar and often even dissimilar but related work. 
Um, people are leaving in anticipation of better work-life balance, maybe better benefits. Uh, perhaps people see opportunities for career advancement in different organization. Um, and I think that the the remote work, there are pluses and, and, and minuses, right, to remote work versus in an office. And I think organizations have to decide what kind of culture they want to be. I think people are making assumptions that remote work is better than in-office culture or in-office um, companies require folking, folks work in office. And so they may be looking for organizations specifically to go work for that offer those kinds of um, opportunities. And uh, the research, again, shows that workers will opt to look for another job if they don't feel they have that mental health support in addition to the physical health in the workplace. And 56, 53%, excuse me, my researchers would, would correct me, 53% of working Americans have said they're likely or very likely to leave their current job to resign if they were offered a new job with significantly better mental health benefits. Um, and 47% of the converse are unlikely or very unlikely to leave for better mental health benefits, but that's going to be on the rise. And again, gives organizations a competitive edge when it comes to talent um, if they're investing in these types of solutions. Interesting. So definitely something that needs to be not just as quo sweep under the rug, but focused on as an organization, because the impact, if you're not feeling it right now, it's eventually going to come. It'll catch up. Yep. Absolutely. Interesting. We're going to take a moment to hear from our show sponsor. Uh, Workplace MVP is sponsored by R3 Continuum. R3 Continuum is a global leader in providing expert, reliable, responsive, and tailored behavioral health, disruption, and violence solutions to promote workplace well-being and performance in the face of an ever-changing and often unpredictable world. Learn more about how R3 Continuum can tailor a solution for your organization's unique challenges by visiting r3c.com today. Now, diving in a little bit into the foundation itself. So, mm-hmm. Sharon Foundation is offering a new workplace mental health ally certificate. Can you tell us more about that certificate and what, you know, individuals need to do in order to achieve that? Sure. Um, we actually launched, or our, our president and CEO, Johnny C. Taylor Jr., announced the launch uh, of our new workplace mental health ally certificate at our annual conference that I mentioned um, uh, that it, that was took place in, gosh, August, September. We kind of moved it from June to later in the year. Um, and when he announced um, the fact that we had a solution on hand at Sherman Term Foundation, you could hear an audible gasp from the audience, which really surprised me. And but um, gave me reason for hope because people, that's just an indicator, an anecdotal indicator of how important this kind of training and access to this kind of training is to those HR folks. Um, The certificate itself uh, was developed in partnership with an organization called Psych Hub, which is really, as they define themselves, and I I would tend to agree, uh, the world's most comprehensive multimedia platform for mental health education. And again, we worked with SHRM, um, some of the instructional designers at PsychHub and the foundation to really create and craft this training specifically for HR professionals and people managers. Um, It's an online learning program that is uh, comprised of a series of um, eight multimedia courses they cover things like mental health, com- common mental health conditions, um, issues related to substance abuse and suicide, um, safety planning, diversity, bias and equity and its links to mental health and the impact on one's mental health. And I think most importantly, communication skills. 
Um, and after um, the HR folks complete all eight hours, uh, the intent is that they have more knowledge and skills to really develop that empathy and support uh, for the mental health and wellness of employees and their colleagues and themselves really in the workplace. Um, and uh, they get a certificate at the end, another um, another addition to your pro professional portfolio. The cost is $99 per user, and actually a portion of that cost um, is donated back to the foundation, which allows us to continue doing the work we do. And again, um, all of this is on our website or www.workplacementalhealthatsherm.org, and I encourage you to check it out. Awesome. And you also are offering awards to workplaces. Um, yes. And I'm going to uh, hope I say this word name correctly. It's the Tharseo Award. Tharseo. Trust Tharseo. me. Everybody. Okay. <laughs> Close. Um, and um, I should have asked you beforehand how to pronounce that. Um, oh, no, no, no. That's okay. Yeah. Trust and me. you're, you're recognizing leaders who are boldly changing their workplace. So some of the things mm -hmm. we've talked about already on the show today about, you know, it really does cha take change management. You know, now you offer this award for those workplaces who, you know, are, are, are doing that. And so talk to me a little bit about some of the recipients you've had, some of the work and maybe some of the case examples of how they, they achieved that award. Sure. Um, we were busy last Monday. We had this, we had our workplace mental health and wellness summit from seven in the morning till about three, three 30. And then we continued into our Tharseo awards. And, um, and that's what we, what you just described here. We work, recognize a CEO, a CHRO and an individual who's involved in policy, uh, related to all things work at this awards program. We had Ariana Huffington had a sit down, down dialogue with, with Johnny C. Taylor Jr. Um, talking about the importance of wellness. So we continued the thread of the discussion that we had at Summit into the actual awards program itself. And I think you'll find this interesting, Tharseo is really a derived from the Greek word meaning courageous, confident, and bold. And the awards themselves were inspired by and made possible by a contribution from Ram Sharan, who in the HR space, he is certainly a legendary businessman. He's an author and speaker. And we identified the recipients to the awards through um, quite an extensive process. Um, this is, you cannot nominate yourself. We had an independent um, uh, group of jurors who really evaluated each of the candidates and they were evaluated on qualitative and quantitative measures. And the criteria we were looking for um, was looking for um, actions and attitudes and implementation linked to innovation um, and overall impact on the company and the global workforce and how the two really need to work together. So the policy transformer of the year was Bobby Scott from Virginia, U.S. Congressman um, from Virginia. And our uh, Ram Charan Human Resource Innovation Award was Gloria Chen. She is the Chief People Officer and Executive Vice President and Employee Experience at Adobe. It's, she has a really interesting background prior to becoming and assuming the CHRO, for lack of a better word, kind of catch-all phrase at Adobe, she spent 20 years in leading strategy at Adobe. So she was part of crafting that culture as she was in charge of strategy, and she's made that transition to HR, and she's seeing where all of those pieces fit together. So neat background. I encourage you to check out our website and see her bio. 
And then our CEO of the year was Ajay Banja, Banga, excuse me. He's the executive chairman and immediate uh, former CEO of MasterCard. And he's an amazing, amazing man. He uh, does work all over the world. He truly puts HR and the function, the profession right up there with that of the CFO, the CMO, and the C-suite understanding the connectivity between um, working with people and doing good business as it relates to people and employees equates to successful businesses and uh, and to businesses being successful in terms of a financial return. So all three of them were recognized. Uh, Congressman Scott was called away to Washington, but we had a great opportunity to engage with, with uh, Ajay and Gloria at the awards themselves. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And what a great honor too, to be recognized for making that change within your work, your organization, but also being able to speak to the benefits that they've seen from that change. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So looking at leaders, you know, and and those HR leaders or C-suite leaders or other business leaders that might be listening to this episode, you know, what advice would you give to them for what they should be focused on when it comes to mental health in the workplace? Um, I just underpinning of that, it can no longer be ignored. That's admiring the problem. We know it's an issue and it lends itself to a financial success, continued financial success, and that it really starts from the top. It's got to be a commitment um, from the CEO. I hate the phrase trickle down, but truly it's got to permeate throughout the organization. We know that mental health issues in the workplace, it's not a new thing. I mean, we were dealing with and managing through mental health and mental illness prior to COVID, the pandemic, and the issues linked to social justice and other kinds of unrest, but it's really magnified the challenges that employers are facing. And now so more than perhaps ever before, um, mental not necessarily mental illness, which is diagnosed and treated like things like schizophrenia or being uh, bipolar, but things like suicide, uh, depression are really, uh, if not being experiencing, being experienced by the employees by self, themselves, but people within their sphere of care. So I just uh, would suggest they create uh, a supportive culture that includes empathy, as I mentioned before, and really arming not only your HR professionals, but those first-line supervisors and managers, first with the tools and the the tools to recognize and communicate when they see issues and provide support to their employees. That's going to be vital vital to really building these better workplaces. And we're going to continue to build on our partnerships. Um, The 33 speakers we had at our summit, we, we accessed them all through partnerships and talking to people smarter than us in this particular space. We bring the voice of the employer together. But we're going to continue to build on those uh, partnerships to shape further opportunities so that leaders and employers uh, will be ready, hopefully, and able to provide this, this culture of support. Wonderful. And looking at the the foundation itself, you know, what are some of the accomplishments that the foundation has received with focusing on mental health and wellness in the workplace? Yep. So we're, we really launched uh, an initiative. Um, We realized that workplace mental health and wellness was going to become was would be exacerbated in in 2020 and yes there's a return to work conversation and there are um, HR folks dealing with furloughs and layoffs but we we really felt strongly back in April really of last year that workplace mental health and wellness was going to be a challenge and so um, what we launched was this initiative and that's been uh, really 
carefully designed to accelerate the movement, not only to provide training and, and create cultures um, that are conducive to good mental health and workplaces, but to really eliminate the stigma, right, of mental health in the workplace and what it means um, and help individuals foster that culture where mental health can be discussed openly and organizations can build a more complete approach to employee wellness. So we're, we're doing three things um, and we're working. These are continued um, things in motion, if you will. One of them certainly being the summit that we just had last Monday. We'll be acting on the outcomes from that summit and continuing the conversation with another follow-up summit into 2022. Um, we've developed a, a platform for thought leadership or research that really supports mental health and wellness in the workplace so that we can create that portfolio of resources um, that are things like the mental health ally certificate and other evidence-based programming, including additional training modules and educational resources so we can continue to curate and build on the resources that we've already established in our mental health and wellness hub. So, you know, this is the the summit was a great um, moment for us to really convene subject matter experts the worst thing I think you can do is attend a great meeting where there's phenomenal dialogue, leave the meeting, everybody goes back to their places of work and nothing gets done. And so I think um, what I'm most proud of at the foundation to date with regard to this topic is the execution of that summit and our commitment to making things happen after after the summit itself. Oh, wonderful. Um, and it sounds like a lot of great resources, great information and, and great work that you're doing overall. Um, so in looking at that, you know, with the list, with our listeners, if they wanted to get more information on how they can, you know, take advantage of this, the, the information and, and tools and resources from the foundation or from SHRM overall, or if they just want to get a hold of you to get, you know, to get insights or information from you, how would they be able to do that? couple of different ways. You can go to the shermfoundation.org website and that you'll find information about each of those pillars of work that I described at the very beginning of our conversation. If you're interested most specifically about our workplace mental health and wellness, um, you can go to workplace mental health, all kind of one word at uh, .sherm.org. And um, certainly um, staff, we've got a team on the foundation, I think seven of us, including me, and um, feel free to reach out to any of the team that's listed on our website. Um, If they're not managing workplace mental health and wellness, the individual you reach out to perhaps directly will find the people to help you get to where it is you need to go. And again, really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today. Oh, well, thank you. It's, it's, Maya, it was a privilege to be able to have the opportunity to connect with you, Wendy, and to celebrate you and the great work that you're doing with the foundation, but also to celebrate the great work the foundation is doing as well. So really appreciate you being a part of our show. Thank you. Yeah. And we also want to thank our show sponsor, R3 Continuum, for supporting the Workplace MVP podcast. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you've not already done so, make sure to subscribe so you get our most recent episodes and other resources. You can also follow our show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Workplace MVP. If you are a Workplace MVP or know someone who who is, Share with us. We'd like to have them on the show. Uh, Email us at info at workplace-mvp.com. Thank you all for joining us and have a great rest of your day.